For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Ah, welcome back to Heard Tell. She is back. As you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, Brooke Medina, our good friend, uh, she does public relations for the John Locke Foundation. But more importantly, over the weekend, she was there as part of the first uh, North Carolina U.S. Senate GOP primary debate happened. Uh, Full disclosure, I was actually supposed to be there and I had a family issue come up. So what did I miss? You missed a rousing debate, that's for sure. But I mean, it's okay. Thankfully, it was online. And uh, so you... Uh, you are able to view it later on and in perpetuity, as one of the debate co-moderators said. I'm glad to be back, though, to discuss what happened in that debate and uh, lend some thoughts to how people might uh, might approach the the takes that the Senate candidates offered. Yeah, I thought the moderators actually did a pretty good job clipping this along. You had a couple of pros on the stage, though, with some of these candidates. So but it was it was a well-run debate. It wasn't one of these circus ones. Uh, I thought they covered a lot, but it did get heated in a couple of places. We'll talk about that. Let's start big picture, though. Um, one of the reasons we do this, the way we're covering elections on Hertel this year, we talk to people there in the rooms in the states. We have uh, Senator Burr, who's been there for a long time. He is resigning, uh, retiring, I guess you could say. A little bit of a scandal with uh, some insider trading and that sort of thing, not seeking reelection. What's the overall mood here looking at this Senate seat? Because it is one of the premier ones on the task. People think this is a high dollar one. There is a uh, understanding. People think the uh, Republicans will hold this seat. What is your overall view of the race, though? Yeah, I think that people on either side of the aisle should not take anything for granted as it pertains to this race. Um, it will be one of the most expensive races, Senate races, uh, but we know that money doesn't actually win elections. So we've seen this in Virginia. We've seen it also here in North Carolina with various statewide races and money is no, ne- no guarantee necessarily. Uh, however, I think this debate or this race is going to become increasingly contentious, unfortunately, but such as politics in 2022 in the United States. Um, there's a lot riding on this on this uh, debate or this race, excuse me, I'm in debate mode still, but referring to the broader race, there's a lot riding on it, of course, in, uh, including the control of the Senate. Yeah. And this particular debate started out interesting just in the format of it because we had four podiums, but we only had three candidates. Uh, Ted Budd, who is running, he was down at CPAC and elected not to come back. Now, Representative Walker did go to CPAC and made the trip back both. How did that land in the room? Uh, We know what it looks like to us, but you were in the room with the other people. Obviously, it was brought up by the other candidates. But how did that land with folks? 
Yeah, I don't think uh, North Carolina voters were very forgiving of Ted Budd for for bailing on this debate. He had been invited uh, with you know plenty of advance notice. Uh, we kept a podium up there for him in the event that he did show up. Just like Congressman Walker, he was uh, he was there at CPAC and he could have come to North Carolina to engage, um, but chose not to. He decided to watch on Facebook instead. Yeah. Now, Bud is interesting because um, we were just talking uh, yesterday with our friend from Ohio where Donald Trump has not endorsed anybody and it's kind of become the feeding frenzy for the people that want it. North Carolina is the opposite. He endorsed Ted Budd really, really early. In fact, I remember doing radio on Big Talker the Monday after, and one of the county reps was in studio with us. This is a diehard Trump guy, by the way. And he's like, no, 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 that's not an official endorsement. He didn't tell us that. Like, He really threw everybody for a loop with the Ted Budd endorsement. But then since then, Ted Budd has a bunch of Club for Growth ads and not a whole lot else. He's not really running a campaign that anybody can tell other than saying, I got endorsed by Trump. And then when you do something like this, we have a narrative forming here by Ted Budd's own hand of I've got an endorsement, but I'm not really running much of a Senate race in the way we understand to win the state of North Carolina, do we? Yeah, it's it's strange that they have chosen to to sort of hide from the from the debate. And I think it stands in stark contrast to uh, to the candidates that actually chose to attend this debate. And I know um, the bug campaign is stating that they just chose to wait until filing was closed before engaging in a debate. And that's certainly within their right to do. But just thinking as a communications professional, optically, I think that was a that was an unwise choice, because if you if you have really good ideas that you want to ensure are getting in front of as many voter eyes as possible, particularly these GOP primary voters, this was an excellent opportunity to do that. Um, this goes, though, to the broader issue related to Trump endorsements. Um, our polling, which we do uh, public opinion polling here at the John Locke Foundation, is called the Civitas Poll. We recently did a statewide poll where 49% of GOP likely primary voters told us we are more likely to vote for the Trump-backed candidate in the Senate race. But a lot of them, almost half of them, didn't even know Ted Budd was that candidate. And so that speaks to the Bud campaigns, I, I would say their lack of actually even, you know, uh, highlighting this Trump endorsement effectively. Yeah. And you mentioned Walker. He's the opposite of this. Um, he was a representative. He was actually in Republican leadership in the Congress, basically got redistricted out of his seat up in the Greensboro area. Uh, he's been the opposite, though. He's going to all the small functions. He's doing local radio. He's doing local media. He's going to pick pickings. What, what he could with the COVID stuff. But just for an example, he's doing all that traditional small campaigning stuff. Yeah. He's been all over the state. He's doing local media. He's been the anti-Bud. Um, how did it come across when he actually got on the stage with some of the better known names like Pat McCrory and such? How did he land in the room? Yeah, actually, I think he landed very well in the room. Um, he came across, despite the fact that he re repeatedly referred to just, you know, his um, his record in Washington. And so there were a couple of other candidates, particularly Marjorie Eastman, who tried to juxtapose themselves as being an outsider and not within Washington. But uh, Mark Walker doubled down on his record in Washington, you know, stating that he was very proud of it. Uh, and I think 
honestly, from what I could tell reading the room, that resonated well with the audience. Um, not because they were they, they weren't associating him with a swamp like creature when people talk about Washington politicians. They were associating him with a principled politician who was getting things done in Washington. So as far as my read could go, and after talking with people who were there in the debate room, asking them, you know, who do you think won this debate? Um, there were a couple of people that did state that they thought Marker won this one. Do you think Walker gets credit? Because this, to, to be clear, this is part of a larger conference. This is a very engaged, politically savvy audience for this debate. Did you get the sense that he's getting extra credit points because of the way he's running a campaign, especially contrasted to Ted Budd, who isn't really campaigning in a traditional sense? And on top of it, no show the debate. Do you think he kind of just got some extra credit points for that? Is this audience savvy enough and going like, hey, this guy's working hard. Let's give him a second look or another hearing here. Yeah, even though that maybe wasn't necessarily spoken, uh, just reading even the social media comments that were coming through during the debate. Uh, that he did stand in stark contrast to Bud on that front. Uh, There were a lot of comments, even on social media, as well as in person as to where is Bud, where's Bud, where's Bud. Uh, Whereas a lot of, a lot of accolades for Mark Walker's campaign, as well as uh, uh, to their credit, Marjorie Eastman and Pat McCrory, both of them, there were certainly people that uh, you could tell were, were rallying around each of these different candidates um, and then I would say those who were inclined to support Bud, Bud or probably do support Bud, um, I think they were just disappointed that he wasn't there. Yeah, before we move on to the other candidates, though, uh, the Trump endorsement, just to put a bow on that part of it, because that's kind of the narrative for this midterm for the Republicans. What do you do about Trump? Um does it feel like the Trump endorsement of Bud is just going to fade over time? Because the debate was, is he going to endorse Walker? Is he going to endorse Bud? He came out and did Bud right out of the blue. Is that just going to fade and not be that important by the time we get into to May here and people start actually going to vote, do you think? Yeah, I, it's uh, it's anybody's guess. But my thought is it doesn't seem like they capitalized it on, as effectively as they should have early on. Um, with that many GOP primary voters unaware that Bud was even the Trump endorsed candidate, to me, that shows that their campaign just did not effectively capitalize on that. That doesn't mean that they can't later. Um, and Ted Bud does have national you know, name recognition. He was on Fox News the day of the debate. I saw him. He was giving interviews related to Ukraine. Um, so he definitely does have visibility. Uh, but I do wonder if they uh, if they missed an opportunity in capitalizing on the Trump endorsement with this audience, who that actually does matter for. Um, but, you know, anything can change between now and May. Yeah, can. We're going to continue to talk about the GOP uh, U.S. Senate debate in North Carolina with our friend Brooke Medina of the John Locke Institute. She was there. She's in the room. Uh, the heavy hitter, uh, Pat McCrory, former governor, uh, who's the leader in the race by most of the polling. We're going to get into his performance. We're also going to talk about the other person on the stage, Eastman, how she did, because this was a lot of folks' first look at her. So more on this debate with Brooke Medina right after this. Uh, welcome back to Heard Tell. I'm Andrew Donaldson, joined by our good friend, Brooke Medina, who was in the room that it happened, or however that line from that musical my kids are always listening to constantly and tell me I should like and I resist. Uh, I'm joking, Hamilton fans. Don't send your hate mail. I know what it is. Uh, let, let's get to the the big gun here. Pat McCrory, former governor. I find him fascinating in this race for this reason. Because he was governor, he lost 
in 2016. We know about the bathroom bill stuff. We know about the tight race with Roy Cooper. He kind of sat out the Trump years, though. He was doing radio in Charlotte, kind of kept a lower profile. He did some did some lobbying stuff in with for the party in D.C., but he kind of sat out the Trump years a lot. So he doesn't have a lot of the Trump stuff on him that a lot of Republicans do. And even though obviously Ted Budd got the endorsement, so Trump's not on his side here. I just think he's a very interesting case study of a pre-Trump Republican navigating the post-Trump GOP. Um, and it's really interesting to watch him. Is that something you take away from it too? Is like, this is kind of a weird little test case we have here. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Um, and perhaps that uh, the way he runs his campaign serves as a case study for other other politicians or uh, political hopefuls who are running for state right, uh, statewide and federal offices. You know, this is this is the way in which you sort of navigate this this current moment where Trump still is a large figure within the Republican Party. Um, so you you don't take up a never Trumper mantle nor an always Trumper mantle, but sort of look for uh, look for strategic ways to navigate this so that you're not alienating important uh, elements of the Republican and to some degree unaffiliated parties. Now, the candidates mostly attacked Ted Budd because that's low hanging fruit because he ain't there and the podium's empty and it's a horrible optic. So they all took their shots at that. But the real fireworks of this debate was Marjorie K. Eastman and Pat McCrory. For those not familiar with Marjorie K. Eastman, and a lot of folks aren't, and this was probably the first view and listen a lot of people got to her other than just seeing the name in the news. What kind of an impression did she leave standing on the stage with somebody like Pat McCrory, who everybody in North Carolina knows, and Walker, who's at least vaguely familiar? She's kind of the new face. How did she present herself? Yeah, I think that... um Based on what I was seeing in the audience, what I, uh, you know, what I read reaction wise uh, among the voters who were watching online, I think it was a little bit of a mixture. I, you know, it is it is different when someone this is kind of like their first introduction to the statewide GOP primary voter audience. And she definitely relied heavily on her military credentials um, and her experience as a combat veteran. Um, and I think that landed differently with various parts of this primary audience. Uh, so time will still tell. I met her in person uh, before the debate, and she's a very uh, she's a very kind and uh, and, uh, you know, just she seemed really, really excited to be there and engage with voters. Um, so I don't know. I think she needs some more time out there before before voters actually decide. Now, on paper, that makes sense because North Carolina is one of the largest population military states. Uh, of course, Fort Bragg, Camp Lejeune, lots of other smaller locations, uh, Goldsboro, huge military population in North Carolina. It's something that's ingrained in the state. Full disclosure here, you have ties to the military uh, as a dependent and also as a military brat, we call it and say it lovingly. Uh, I'm a veteran. The thing about that, though, is when you start using that in a place that's very military literate like North Carolina is, those things have their own language and decorums and the ways to go about them. I'm not sure she's hitting the right notes, pulling that out right from the go with a state where folks, they, they know how these things work. You can't just say it. And to me, some of it came off. Um, if it was a song, I'd say it was a little pitchy. You understand what I'm getting at? Is that how it came across to you too? I'm picking up what you're laying down and I get it. Um, it was, it was 
it was repeated so many times. And I think that particularly within the military population, and like you said, North Carolina being comprised of so many veterans and veteran families, there is a way in which to, uh, to highlight one's service, but it also needs to come across as almost like an understated humility about it, where it's like, yeah, I, I did serve and this is why I'm well-equipped to govern well. Uh, but it's not, you know, a, a club that we use to bang, you know, the other candidates over the head with. It's just, no, I, I my life is about service. It is about caring for my fellow man. And, um, and that's why I'm here because I love North Carolinians. And I think that is probably the more advantageous way and also heartfelt way in which to, in which to highlight one's service. And so I think that that will be refined as she continues her campaign. But I believe you know, if you're if this is your first time within the, you know, a, a large statewide audience, you're looking for opportunities to really distinguish yourself, especially among other Republican candidates. And um, so I think she was attempting to capitalize on that. But I believe it should be refined a little bit more. Yeah. And the problem she has is she was on stage with a very experienced politician in Pat McCrory, who was ready for it. And he yeah. broke out. um we used to call it carping bagging. I don't think we call it that anymore. And I think that's unfair for the situation here, but he brought up the fact that when she, she gave her spiel about, you know, my husband retired from military, I retired from military. We love North Carolina. Look, that's a story. A lot of, a lot of people in North Carolina have, they, they, they came here from somewhere else with the military. That's all fine and good. Where she ran into a little bit of trouble here is this is a GOP uh, primary and she had just registered as a GOP member six weeks before she filed now, she she says it's because she was again, here we go back to the pitchiness because military people understand these things. She says, well, I was military, so I stayed unaffiliated because I wanted to be uh, apolitical. OK, I, I don't really buy that, but I'll take her word for it on the face of it. But she got out of the military in 2012 and this is 2021. McCrory had all that oppo research ready at hand and got into it with her and kind of laid it out. But that's how it showed on the video. How did it land in the room? That exchange, that was probably the hottest exchange between candidates on the stage of the whole debate. How did it land in the room and who got the better of that? Yeah, that was a tense moment um, because she really did. Uh, I think uh, one of the news outlets that covered it was stating, you know, she clapped back at McCrory and she really she really pushed back on him on that. And as a person who is re registered as an unaffiliated voter and, you know, grew up, my dad was a 30 year veteran. My husband was a 20 year veteran. I get that desire for being more apolitical and neutral. Doesn't mean though, I mean, being in the service doesn't preclude you from registering with a party. That was certainly a tense moment during the debate. And I think that uh, it almost seemed like she allowed McCrory to unnerve her a little bit. And I think that that was perhaps a missed opportunity. Um, I get what she was trying to, to communicate to him and sort of, you know, like, you know, here are my boundaries. Don't mess with me. Don't tread on me kind of thing. Um, but again, McCrory is a politically savvy individual. And so he knows how to navigate that where he was trying to downplay it and said, wow, that really riled you up sort of thing. Um, Mark Walker, it was funny though, during this moment, and it actually elicited a laugh, uh, laughter from the audience, but 
as McCrory and Eastman are going back and forth on this Walker, who is taller than all of the candidates there, he starts like sinking down in his, in his podium and disappears so that McCrory and Eastman are just facing each other. And, um, and so that kind of broke the tension a little bit, but um, I'm not sure how that landed with the audience. I mean, my husband was there, he's a veteran uh, and he appreciated Eastman's comments and her pushback. And so, uh, and there were other veterans who maybe I think pushed back a little bit on that. So who knows? <laughs> and, and just for the record, I'm unaffiliated too. That's what they call independence in North Carolina. And um, the fastest growing group of voters in North Carolina, by the way, you do the polling data, you could speak to that some other time. Okay. A couple other points on this real quick. Obviously, this happened over the weekend, so Ukraine was on everybody's mind. I thought everybody kind of handled the Ukraine question pretty uniformly and well. How did it land in the room, and was that on people's minds in this debate? We're not in a real foreign policy way, but this sure seems to have burned through a lot of other stuff, doesn't it? But how did it land in the room, the debate, the candidates, the audience? Was it something that was on people's mind, and how did they react to it? It was certainly on people's minds throughout the conference. Uh, This was a two-day conference. It was sold out, filled with filled with voters, many of them veterans, but all of them patriotic. And uh, yeah, this was an important question to ask. And I would say each of the candidates, uh, they were clear and, you know, that there is, this is absolutely inexcusable. There were no Putin apologists on that stage, uh, nor throughout the conference. And so um, this is one of those things where it was a unifying topic. And, um, and I think that, if any of the candidates stood out on that front, well, they were all pretty pretty similar, actually. But if any of the candidates stood out on that front, it would have been Marjorie Eastman, just for the reason that that's where she really should have highlighted her military service and could have um, and did to some degree. Um, but I think all of them were, were pretty lockstep with one another on that. Tell us something that maybe didn't make the TV part of the debate, but you're backstage, you're mingling, you're actually helping to run this event. You see the candidates interact with people. You know their handlers and their staffs are with them. What What's something that we didn't see but you saw that you think maybe something we ought to know about and should take away from this gathering of the clans of the GOP Senate primary candidates? Oh, wow, that's a that's a good question. Um, I would say, like I like I mentioned just a little bit earlier, Marjorie Eastman was really warm and kind. Uh, it was nice to meet her and her son, and her husband was, I believe, special forces service member. Uh, so it was nice to meet the, them as a family and see them in that light. And Congressman Walker, he's just really down to earth, like really down to earth. And uh, so what people saw on stage was actually, you know, what what I saw backstage uh, related to him. So I thought that those were two um, two takeaways that I had. The dynamic of this race, talking to Brooke Medina, from the go has pretty much been Pat McCrory has the name recognition. He has the money. He has the network built in and the, for lack of a better term, and I know it's because of the Ted Budd stuff we already touched on, but just to generalize, uh, the Trump vote was going to be splintered between everybody else. Uh, has anything changed the dynamic of that race after this debate? Now, has anybody stop the momentum of Pat McCrory? Is anybody gaining on Pat McCrory, do you think? Oh, that's a good question. Well, according to Ted Budd's campaign, this debate is, or this race is now between Eastman and Budd. Um, but I would think that's more of a just political statement that they've made to create, uh, to kind of like, well, to take a jab at McCrory and then Walker. I think that 
our next poll will be very telling on this. We'll do another poll within a few weeks from now. But to me, it seems that McCrory is probably still pretty, pretty secure in, in being a top contender in this race. Um, Eastman, uh, you know, this debate, probably, you know, it increased her name recognition a bit, but it will be interesting to see how the polling shakes out on this. And I would say, you know, those who maybe were unfamiliar with Walker in the debate format, even if they recognize his name and stuff, but maybe unfamiliar with really where he did stand on some important policy issues. Uh, this gave them, it seems to me, a little bit more to go on um, and inform their vote and contrast him with maybe a McCrory. I mean, just to put a bow on this, wrapping up talking to Brooke Medina about the uh, NCGOP U.S. Senate debate, the first one. Do you see a difference in the Pat McCrory now and the Pat McCrory four or five years ago that lost the governor's race? It it seems to me he has retooled himself, not in noticeable ways where you could ding him on it, but I do see differences in how he talks, how he communicates. I guess some of it's just experience. He went and did talk radio for three or four years. I think that's helped him because he did have a real weird kind of stated delivery a lot of times when he was serving as governor. I think maybe the talk radio, but does that come across to you too? Does this seem like a different Pat McCrory? Not not just on the policy stuff, just his delivery, the way he campaigns. He's doing smaller events. He did local radio. He did the big talker radio, small local radio. Is this a man that has learned his lessons and adjusted? Does that come across to you? He certainly comes across as very politically savvy. I think that they uh, his campaign is strategic and they're thinking through second and third order of effects of you know what he does and the stances he takes. Um, they have a long-term vision for this. And I think that that will serve him well is that he um, his campaign and himself are just uh, able to, I would say, more deftly navigate um, some of the more political landmines that that would await a Republican candidate here in North Carolina for such a big race. Yeah, no substitute for experience, right? Um, Brooke Medina, it was a great event. Uh, I had a lot of friends there that I was texting with back and forth. Everybody seemed to enjoy it. So congratulations on pulling it off. Uh, let people know what you got coming up next now that you got the Carolina Liberty Conference out of the way and where they can follow you on social media until we get you back on Hertel again. Thank you, Andrew. It really was a, a good event. I, I heard rave reviews from everyone and the John Locke Foundation staff just pulled it off. They did an excellent job. And the aim was to make sure everybody had a good time and everybody had a good time. I saw people walking around with a yummy drink, a cigar and uh, just talking and um, and catching up networking. And so it felt almost like a family reunion, um, although maybe not just as familial, <laughs> but people were really, uh, there was a lot of of friendliness and fellowship and camaraderie there. And I'm grateful for that. Um, and so coming up ahead, we've got more statewide polling um, that will be released in March. So by the time that this comes out, uh, be on the lookout for that. But we also are going to begin doing statewide events, such as an election integrity events, just uh, equipping voters with important information um, as they go into this election season, learning how that they can be volunteers at their local election sites. So we're going across the state offering that. We're going across the state offering grassroots training related to school choice issues. Um, and then we're just, we're hiring. I'm hiring in the communications department. So if anybody who is listening right now is interested, please go to johnlock.org and you can go to the about us section. And we actually have a few different job openings available because we keep growing and that's a good problem to have, but we're looking for solid liberty minded, smart, articulate people to join our team. 
Uh, Brooke Medina, I always enjoy talking to you. I tell you what, let's just go ahead and plan it. When that poll comes out, we want you on to discuss it and we will talk about it. Uh, and I appreciate your friendship. I will make it next time. I promise. <laughs> I'm sorry I missed out on this one, but thank you for the insight today. And we'll be talking to you more as this very important race unfolds. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, Andrew. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.